This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show that goes behind the headlines and explores issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Campaigning has begun in earnest for the Johor State elections after nomination day on Saturday. And given that we're still in a pandemic situation, in-person campaigning remains restricted. And hence, social media has become a dominant means for political parties to connect with the electorate. Now, a recent study by Pusat Komas, a human rights civil society group, looks at the patterns of discourse on social media during the Malacca state elections last year, particularly as it relates to racial and religious messaging. Ryan Chua, Program Director with Pusat Komas, joins me today to discuss the findings of the project. Ryan, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, good morning, Shazana. Thanks for the invitation. Now, Pusat Komas carried out a social media monitoring project last November during the Malacca state elections. Talk to me about the thought process behind the project and what you were looking to find out. Right. Uh, So when we started the whole idea to monitor social media, I think there were a few reasoning behind it. I think most of us are aware that the Malacca state elections has changed from a physical setting to a more online setting. And most of the campaigning have happened online. So because of COVID-19 and much more, so everything is done online. So we decided that let's look at the patterns of communication, uh, you know, apart from you know, to see what are some of the public conversations, statements and actions of politicians and political parties during the whole campaigning period and how is it reflected in the social media. Specifically, we're trying to focus on the issue of race and religion because there's a core of the thing that we in Pusat Komas do. I mean, um, like, like you mentioned, we are a human rights civil society organization, but one of our major works that we have done is really specifically on examining and trying to counter racism and racial discrimination in Malaysia. So this is one of our campaigns um, to really just look into what these politicians are doing because this is one of the biggest issues that we are facing where politicians themselves and political parties themselves perpetuate hate uh, through racial and religious messaging and this is not healthy for Malaysia. So I think that that's really where we are coming from and why we actually conducted the social media monitoring project. What were the parameters of your study? Because when you think about it, (laughs) racial and religious messaging could cover like a broad range of discussions and topics and debates. What was the scope of your survey? Which social media platforms were you monitoring for this? All right. So what, what we have done in our research mainly is to examine in general, honestly, we we are going, we are maybe deep diving into all of this. We know that the ambit and the parameters will be really huge, especially when we talk with regards to issues of race and religion. So what we have done is that any particular mentions related to any race, so if there's a word of a race, particular race comes out, it will automatically be captured. And I think that's the beauty of big data. You know, when we have social media, you know, we cannot have a really small, narrow defining factors, then it will be really difficult for us to um, to really examine and determine. So what we have done instead then is, you know, let's start from a very big perspective, look at all the different factors. So for example, we have a list of keywords. Um, no, for example, I'm not a political party. We have Basatu, DAP, PAS, PKR, all the political parties that were part of the Malacca state elections were all included in there. And of course, we have sensitive terms like China, Malayu, India, or Article 153, or even vernacular schools and much more, no, which, and of course, during a peak of the time is Tima. And we also have you know, the closing of uh, 4D shop. So what we have done is that we have a list of keywords 
um, hugely. So keywords where you know that um, we worked together with Zandru. So what they did was they actually extracted all this information. So any mentions of Amno, Besatu, or any of the keywords that we had put inside net would actually show us a big data. Mm. And then the headache comes when we have to start categorizing all of them into pieces and say, okay, where does this fall? Because when we are looking at this MB, like we have mentioned, race and religion can be a really big wide perspective, right? So if we are to really have the narrowly defined way, then I think it's really difficult for us. So what we have done instead is really, you know, just to sum, them, uh, group them thematically and then we have to evaluate whether this is positive, this is negative. So that's all the internal headaches that we have internally just to try to separate those information out. So I'm, you used the word big data. So I suppose some of the processes was automated. There was some artificial intelligence involved. But how yeah. how much human capital was involved, especially when it comes to, like you said, trying to parse through all the different uh, posts that come in and decide which was harmful versus which is harmless? Um, how many of you were working on this? So we work very closely with Zandru. So Zandru, if I'm not mistaken, they have two personnel really streaming through because it's really a huge, um, big number of data. In fact, um, just allow me to share a little bit in terms of the numbers. We have, in terms of race and religion, there is 12.8 thousand mentions on pertaining to race and religion. And of course, you have engagements, which is it's almost 1 million, you know. We have one, almost 1 million of uh, engagement. And what's the difference? So, I mean, of course, all these are really huge new terms as well, right? You know, so when we talk in terms of talkability, meaning that the number of original posts about a specific topic. So how likely they are a member of the public initiate a conversation about a topic. So for example, no, we actually found three major topics of conversations in social media. Uh, first is party hopping. Because we know the Malacca state elections was triggered because of party hopping. Because COVID-19 concerns, a lot of them are also mentioning that, oh, look, you know, we had the Sabah elections. We have not learned from the Sabah elections and then we are doing it for the Malacca state elections. And of course, race and religion is the other factor that came up. So in terms of numbers of original posts about a specific topic, the number of people typing and say, hey, I'm concerned about this and much more, those constitute the talkability. But the average engagement is where something is rather interesting in which people actually responded. They were put like, then they were put like, you know, happy emojis and all that kind of stuff. And of course, they also responded to them. So they have comments and much more. And race and religion has the highest number of engagements. Hmm. as compared to the three different major topics that we're talking about. And this is something quite worrying in terms of our sense because back then, people are unhappy, they are upset. So this is where you know, we have a huge number of engagements, particularly on the race and religion factor. So to really scrutinize all this, that's in terms of the number. You have millions coming up and all that kind of stuff. So we have two personnel from Zanru who actually assisted us to really skim through one by one because I think they are the, they are the experts in terms of this. They have dealt with big and huge data. And from us in Pusat Commerce, what we have done is that you know, we provide them with technical expertise uh, in terms of like, okay, how do you distinguish uh, what, what constitutes under racism or does not constitute under mm. that? So there's a lot of constant communication between our team and their team and they regularly update us in terms of that. So there were a few revisions in terms of how, because sometimes you know you really need to look in terms of, in terms of the context, right? Some of the information that were given were not really racist in nature. Mm. And then, of course, but they lump it into racist. So then we need to really draw the line and identify all of this information. So from our side, it's around three or four of us uh, that oversees the thing. And then from that side, it's around two of them who helps us sift through all those data. Right. So it just shows just how much human capital is needed. It's not something that can yeah. be done purely by robots. It does require a lot of thinking through and, and yes. kind of reasoning among the the 
mounds of data. Before we speak some more about the findings, let's reflect a little bit on how the pandemic has impacted um, the tenor of conversations on so on social media. How much of the activity on social media do you think is driven by the fact that face-to-face interactions don't happen as frequently because of the pandemic? Do you think that affects um, the nature of social media conversations or would this have happened regardless of whether we could actually see each other face-to-face and in person? Well, I think there could be a small impact. I mean, I'm no expert in social media and, you know, how people communicate, you know, but, but to my to my extent, uh, from what I understood, um, I think people need avenue to express and to vent out their anger and the disappointment of certain things. Mm. And with COVID-19 restrictions, people are unable to come out and to vent it out to their friends and say, oh my God, why is this politician doing? Why do political party to make. So instead, they turn into social media. Of course, it is already an available platform, but it was, I mean, there's an, an increase to a certain extent where people could actually express it. And the beauty, I mean, not the beauty of it, but you know, to a certain extent, an advantage of using social media is that they can hide under the guise of anonymity. Mm. So um, they can always, you know, be a little bit more vocal. Sometimes it's a little bit more extreme in terms of their responses, but uh, all of those can be done, you know, in, in a in, in social media. So I think this is a platform, especially with regards to the topic of race and religion. And let's be frank, mm. you know, people, when it comes up to meeting another person and much more, they would not be really frank to talk about issues of race and religion, especially we are under the pretext that I have to be careful because I don't want to offend the person of mm. another race. But in social media, you know, I can just hang under the guise of anonymity and I can just criticize and say anything I want. And mm. that's a danger to it as well. And I think that that is also reflected in this in this um, social media tracking mm. in that sense. Mm. I'm speaking to Ryan Chua, program director with Pusat Komas on social media trends observed during the Malacca state elections. More from this conversation after a quick break. Stay with us, BFM eighty nine point nine. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana and today I'm speaking to Ryan Chua, Program Director with Pusat Komas, on the findings of their social media monitoring project during the Malacca state elections. So, of course, as mentioned, the findings showed that race and religion yielded a higher impact factor, which, as we've been talking, isn't really surprising given how emotive these issues are. What were the most dangerous kinds of messaging that you observed um, in the data? Okay, so we have three different key areas as well. Now, when we break down those data, we have what we call as you know uh, religious provocation. Why, why we put it as religious provocation? I mean, again, um, when we have the issue of Tima, you know, banning, it, it created so much conversation on the ground. And then you have the 4D closure in Kedah, and it had an impact. I mean, a lot of them are saying, but this is a, an issue that is happening in Kedah, but what, what, what's its impact in, mm. in Malacca? And we can actually see that, you know, it's a, it's a political strategy. Why are this only at this very point of time um, that uh, a particular party, political party who is in Kedah have decided to, you know, to just um, ban the 4D shops? And, and then after that, there were no mention about it anymore. So these are all ways on how people evoke this and, and try to provoke of course, we have matters pertaining to race-based policies. And of course, uh, in terms of that, you know, we have Barisan National, where Amno is their main spokesperson, actually. They, they have the most message out there. And they were talking a lot in terms of Bumiputra rights and much more. And then, of course, uh, there are also factors with regards to national language, you know. And at that point of time, you know, um, BN was moving on a very strong position that we need to uphold the national language. But then it backfired. To them at a certain extent because some of the candidates themselves are unable to speak in the Barca, in Barca. 
you know, one more is in terms of like race, uh, racial sensitive engagements or conversations where people are actually just bashing each another. So if you can see online, you know, they were saying, oh, uh, you know, some of the statements, you know, okay, masuk BN, amnon barungam, satu bangsa Melayu patingam. That kind of messages which are like, you know, people might think, okay, this is funny, but, you know, it's not really, it's actually quite alarming. And there are also some of them who say that, okay, better gerakan and DAP Shawanese ultra Chinese races. So it's, it's, it's this kind of messages that sometimes when you look at it, okay, how do we put and categorize this? You are, you are criticizing a political party for being racist, but, you know, how, how then do we really put? So this is the engagements, the conversations that are happening online that you have the Malaysians themselves with different political inclination. And, you know, they are starting to bash each other, just say, oh, because this is a racist party, this is a full Chinese party, and all those, you know, it, it makes the conversation happen. And it's not that healthy anyways. Is there anything that can be drawn um, from the relation between messaging and the outcome of the elections? I don't know if you've looked at this or if this was part, mm-hmm. you know, if this if this is something that the study uh, drew inferences from, you know, do you think there's, uh, especially given the fact that you said some parties uh, intentionally politicize some issues during the election period. Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah. there's any conclusions that can be made from this data I mean, and the outcome? I mean, when, when it comes to conclusion like this, I mean, uh, we we observe what are uh, the electoral offenses uh, in terms of like in terms of race and religion. We we try not to make any inferences. Maybe because again, uh, outcomes of elections it's not only based on one factor. It's an interlinking factor. So. Uh, voters, uh, the number of voters coming back can also affect. Um, and then, of course, political fatigue can also affect. Mm. And of course, this kind of messaging may also affect. So again, I don't think it's fair to say that, okay, perhaps maybe race and religion plays the biggest messaging and other kinds of things are affecting. I don't think it's a fair assessment. Mm. But it could also give certain indication. Maybe perhaps these things are working. We never know. Um, but this is just an indication and there's no and something that we can speculate really. Mm. So the report highlighted that a lot of the times it was politicians and political parties that initiated these um, race or religious-based conversations. But it also said that the manner in which news media reported on race and religious exchanges um, could intentionally or inadvertently uh, sensationalize the matter and fan heated rhetoric. Yeah. So what examples come to mind uh, in the course of this study? When, you, when we think of news media and how these uh, exchanges were reported? Okay, so one very, uh, perhaps maybe not during the course of this study, but one really good example that I can draw upon, I mean, when this report was published, and then there was a specific uh, news agency which says that, oh, PH and PN users race and religion, uh, they, they are the highest, they rank the highest in race and religion. And, and of course, then CBN focuses on economy and politics. So they, they, when they read the thing, it's, it's, it's different because the interpretation is different. Mm. And it has gained traction immediately by political leaders themselves. And they say, look, and one of them actually retweeted and said, look, uh, see, BN did not do anything on race and religion. The one who plays race and religion is PHMPN. Immediately, this kind of thing. So news medias as well, so they have the responsibility. I mean, you need to report. I mean, I know that it's difficult times and also we need to get garner readers as well. But when you have topics like this which does not accurately portray or headlines which does not accurately portray, you know, it's going to be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And and when we look at that example that I was just sharing with you, even the political leaders themselves did not read the content of the report because they clearly stated in the report, you know, what exactly it is. But headlines themselves are provocative enough and people just 
make it easier with the headlines and then just jump to conclusions. Mm. So similarly, I mean, I'm pretty sure when we talk with regards to Kima issue, the 4D issues and much more, it would definitely pop up. Mm. So news media do play a really important role, especially now when people just they resort to clickbaits. How would you like to see voters use the findings of this project to inform how they vote in upcoming elections, whether it's in the Johor State elections or in GE15, which we don't know when, but, uh, you know, it's coming. Uh, so how do you think we should use this uh, survey? First, as voters, we need to be accountable. What kind of Malaysia do we really want? Do we want uh, Malaysia is really proxied on a particular race or, or a particular ethnic group? Because oftentimes... When I go to the ground, when Commerce goes on the ground to have conversations with the people, they will often say, no, we are a very inclusive country. We are a very united country. And it is the politicians themselves who are the ones who create these issues and tensions. Then my response to them is, you know, why are we still giving them the power if you think that they are the ones who are creating these issues? So I feel that when it comes to matters pertaining to this, we as voters, we have to hold these uh, political leaders and politicians themselves accountable. I mean, for oftentimes they say, okay, we are doing this to protect a particular race or ethnic group. But uh, have they done so? What have they done so far? Hmm. You know, and oftentimes there would also be messaging that said, oh, our, our religion is under threat. Our ethnic group is under threat. Then my question and response to them would then be, you know, if what exactly, what threat are you actually talking about? What do, what do you mean by being under threat? So we do not take that step further to question and to uh, to dissect those information. And oftentimes, I also feel that as voters, we also need to be a little bit more sensible uh, and try to flip it from the other side. You know, when we have political parties themselves saying that, okay, you know, we need to protect the rights of this ethnic group, you know, ask them, how much have we actually benefited or it has benefited you yourself as a politician? So again, then we need to question these political parties and leaders. Are these... Um, policies that they are introducing beneficial to the entire ethnic group or to the elites. Mm. And I think this is where um, that sense of critical thinking and analysis has to come into play because we cannot just continue listening and playing by the words of the politicians and we need to say how much do we actually benefit from whatever rhetorics that you are playing. Uh, holding uh, leaders accountable isn't just about reacting to what they say on social media, but it's also putting a critical eye on what they're saying and thinking yeah. through before, I suppose, uh, posting extreme views in response of some sort. Yeah. Um, you, your recommendation in the report was for politicians and political parties to move away from the use of race and religion in politics. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, while this is, I absolutely agree with you, it does seem like a tall order given how these issues are used to excite and garner electoral support. So how best do you think we can encourage this move away? Would it take a law penalizing hate speech, for example? Actually, in fact, during Barisan National in 2013, there was an establishment of the National Unity Consultative Council. Back then, it was under PM uh, Najib Razak. I mean, it was a good document, the NUCC report, but it was not released. It was only released when Pakatan Harapan took uh, on, on the power and really managed to see the findings. And there were really good recommendations drafting of anti-hate speech laws pertaining to race and religion and anything related to that. And then there was another one more proposal was to form a commission, uh, a race and religious commission, which helps to mediate and to also act as a tribunal or to help, you know, if there are instances of where you have racial and religious uh, tension, 
then you have a group of mediators coming into play to try to uh, address and uh, these issues. So all those were in discussion at that point of time. But of course, when the new government came up, there were some progressive moves like the establishment of a national unity ministry. But then they also came up with a national unity blueprint and action plan. But nothing has manifested from that. It's just a document. They have tried to approach the ministry. They have not entertained us at all. So I guess, you know, there were a lot of initiatives um, out there. But in terms of the implementation, I think there's a question mm. at this point of time. And in fact, we already have existing uh, governmental departments like JP NIN or the National Unity and Integration Department, which I see that has done some of the mediation. They have a lot of Rukun Tatangas and all that kind of stuff, which is under their purview. But again, you know, most of the time, the things that they are doing are a lot with regards to just having a group of symbolic gestures, getting people to come together. Mm. So I can come together for Jamuan Makan, everybody happy, happy, take picture. Yes, we have multiracial, multi-religious group of people here. But then when it comes to the real essence, you know, of really understanding, they don't know. You know, we have a lot of tech lines, Keluarga Malaysia, uh, even back then in the end time, we have Satu Malaysia and much more. But how much do we actually practice what we are preaching? Mm. Uh, I think that's a bigger question already. Um, you can have all these symbolic things, but your actions don't reflect that. I think that's where we as voters ourselves, we have to hold them accountable. Stop talking about Kroger Malaysia when you are not doing that. Mm. You know? And, and one-off actions don't work either. It has to be consistent over time. Yeah. Uh, you know, one-time thing is not going to have the, that impact. Yes, um, Ryan, definitely. fascinating conversation. Will you be continuing this project in the Johor State elections? Yes, most definitely. Because the elections are coming really soon. We are already starting monitoring. So we are just trying to maybe iron out because there are more political parties joining now. We, I mean, it's a bloated election, really. So it's, it's something good. It's a healthy democracy. Uh, so now it's more, more work has to be done. We have to examine. So we have to include even more messaging and it will be a bigger task. And I think the number of seats are even bigger as compared to the Blatter's elections. So we are, we are definitely going to do and monitor the upcoming Johor elections. All right. Well, we hope to catch up with you when you've got the results of that study, Ryan. Thank you so much for speaking yeah. with me today. Thank you so much, Shantana. I've been speaking to Ryan Chua, Program Director with Pusat Komas on Pressing Matters. For more information on their work, visit their website at komas.org, K-O-M-A-S dot org. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.